Amen. Thank you, musicians, singers. Do appreciate that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Micah. Again, the book of Micah. Again, just before Nahum and Habakkuk, if that helps. Micah chapter 6. Again, I just want to say a big thank you to all those that helped yesterday. Echo what Chris said. Appreciate all your help. Appreciate those who gave as well in our, um, our offering. We spoke about the lost coin. Those that give you faithful to your pledges, thank you for that. Um, you're seeing God uh, bless that and seeing people saved and it's going, that's where it's going. So thank you for all your help and we appreciate all that you do. Uh, amen. Also, just want to invite everyone to our Christmas service. Our Christmas service will be at 11 a.m. Uh, again, echoing what Chris said. Uh, I encourage you to come. It will be a great, I'm looking forward to Christmas. Uh, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a small morning tea. Uh, afterwards, uh, just some fellowship. If you need to head back off to family and all that, that that's fine. That you don't need to stick around. Uh, but we're going to have that. Rumor has it that there will be cookie time cookies in the back. That's just the rumor for Christmas. Amen. Micah chapter 6. Uh, I was going, when I came to New Zealand, I had a, first came, I went, I applied for a couple of different jobs. And I applied for a job at, um, at the docks, at the wharf, and um, as a safety advisor. And I did a bit of health and safety for the power lines. And so... Um, I got the interview and it was going all right. The interview was going okay. A lot of the, lot of the health and safety principles were the similar to what I did in Melbourne. And they asked one question. They're like, um, oh, they've asked many questions, but one of the questions they got to, they said, are you familiar with, you know, uh, AUNZ 4000? Uh, do you understand that code? And I'm like, I had no idea what that code was. Ever been in an interview and they ask you a question and you have no idea what they're talking about? And I'm like, I heard NZ. I was like, no, I think that's a New Zealand code because, yeah, it's got NZ in it. I don't think we do that in Australia. They're like, no, no, that's why it's called AUNZ. It's used in Australia as well. I was like, alrighty then. Okay, I don't, think I, I don't know that one. I was trying to put off something. And then, um, and so I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I didn't understand. Maybe we call it a different number in Australia. I was trying to get out of it, but I, I had no idea what it was. And by the grace of God, I got that job somehow. And uh, we, we got through and... The reason I tell you that is because I didn't really know what was required of me at the start, at the initial stages of, of that job. And sometimes as a Christian, we don't know what's requi- required for our role as a, as a Christian. And it could be very easy to lose. could be very easy to misunderstand. And this is the issue. If you don't understand what's required of us as Christians. So if we don't know what God requires of us, this is a quote here, we can be successful in areas that don't matter and fail in areas that are required. And I think a lot of people fall into that category. Very successful in these areas, but it's not necessarily what Christ requires. And if we understand what he wants from us, what his plan for us is, I think then you can live a powerful life, you can live a successful life, and you could stick to that. So this is part two of a sermon I started on Wednesday night. And let me give you a quick recap. Here in our text, Micah is dealing with, the, God's dealing with the people of Israel and they've turned away from him. And God asks a heartbreaking question, Micah 6.3. says, Oh my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. So God's saying, you say you're so tired of serving me. What have I done that make you that so tired? Is, are you tired from, from what? And then he lists six things he's done for him. He talks about his compassion. He says, for I brought you out of Egypt and Christmas is a time where we understand Christ is with us and he helps us and he has compassion on us and he brings us out from our our bondage then it talks about his redemption I redeemed you from slavery and it wasn't just with a sacrificial lamb it was with the lamb of God it was Jesus Christ his son he goes I gave you leadership and friendship like he says in that text he goes I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam I gave you these people to help you 
And I, was, I did this to, to bless you and lead you. He talked about verse 4. He goes, I turned curses into blessings. Talked about King Balak, how he hired Balaam to prophesy against God's people. And it got flipped. And as he, he's been paid to, to curse God's people. But as he's speaking, the Bible says that he changed his tongue and that he started blessing God's people. And he goes, don't you remember all the things that in your life were a curse before, but now that we're saved, that they're turned into blessings. How many are happy about the blessings that God's put on your life and stop the curses that was put on us? And he says, the fifth thing, he says, do you remember the presence, my, my presence and the miracles that I gave you? And uh, he goes, he talks about the journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal. This is where they crossed the River Jordan. Uh, he goes, I, I stopped the Jordan so you can go into this next area of life. You couldn't do this by yourself, but, but I did this for you. And then he says, talked about his faithfulness and he says when i the lord did everything i could to teach you about my faithfulness and it's the heart you can hear the heartbreak of god in this when he says i did everything i could to show you my faithfulness and he goes so are you tired are you tired of serving me is it too much is it too much to serve me god's asking can you can you imagine god asking you that question he's asking us that question he goes after all i've done is it too much to serve me are you too tired? What have I done to make you so weary? Because a lot of Christians saying they're burnt out today. That's like the buzzword. I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. And God says, why are you burnt out? Did you redeem yourself? Did you, did you perform the miracle? Did you? Anyway, that was Wednesday, so we're not going to go into that. So, and so then they give attitude, as you know, we do, right? Anybody, anybody give an attitude back to God before? Never, never hear of another church. But, and um, they're like, what do you want us to do, God? I've, I've given you, like, what do you want? Do you want, do you want thousands of sacrifices of, of little lambs? Is that what you want? Um, do you want? Do you want us to sacrifice our own children, God? Is that what you want from us? Do you want, are you so out of control, God, that we have to give you our own children to pay for our sins? Is that what you require of us? God says, no. I don't require your children. But I'll give you my son for your sin. And poor... So then God goes in and says what he requires. And listen, God doesn't require any, any external thing from you. What God requires from us is us. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He doesn't need money. He's got money. He doesn't need these things. Spurgeon has got a great quote. He says, It was a spiritual worship that the Lord required, not externals, not outward gifts, but the heart. And I, this, is, this is such a great, I love this line. If thou wilt to bring an offering, bring thyself. There is no other gift that the Lord so much desires. What a great quote. What does God want from me? Does he want this? Does he want that? No, he wants you. He wants us. So here we're going to look at what does the Lord require and that means to study or to inquire or to investigate. And these are the three things that God wants from us. And he's going to continue to investigate if we have these things in our life. And so this is part two. This will be the finisher. I was going to break these down into one, one week each, uh, but I'll just do it all this morning. This is week two of what God requires of me. And I've titled this, Do, Love, and Walk. Do, Love, Walk. Micah 6, 8. God says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord re require of you? But do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly. To do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your presence. We're grateful for this day, Lord. 
grateful for this season, God, that those who don't know you even sing about you, Lord, they sing our own songs, God. They sing about your greatness and your goodness. Lord, I pray. Today, let us be successful in what you require of us. Let us fail at the areas that are not required. God, thank you for giving your son that you don't require us to give our children. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. And in direct obedience, God, we offer our lives to you. Holy, acceptable, we lay them at your feet. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. And thank you for the lives that you're going to change this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody says, Amen. Do, love, walk. So let's break these down. Firstly, he says, do justly, or in other words, be legal. Do justly, be legal. So before we do justly, we need to know what justly means. And it basically means judgment. Justice is, is judgment. And not in a bad way. This is not judging people. What this means, it's, it's a legal term where uh, they go to court and they'll make the right decision based on the law that's at hand. And so they'll base the, they've got the law as a foundation and then they'll make a righteous judgment based on the legal system. And we live in a society that's run by a legal system, thank God. We live in a free country, but you guys can't just do whatever you want to do. There's a legal system and that saves a lot of us from getting in trouble and, and helps us and protects us. And God is into that. You should live by the law. Can everybody say amen? amen. Just because you're, I'm a Christian, I don't need to live by the law. No, because you're a Christian, you better live by the law. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. God is great. Amen. So, so when it means to do justly, basically what it means is in the simplest form, is just do what's right. Don't cheat. Don't be dodgy. Don't do things you know aren't ethical. Do what's right. That's what it, that's what it means. And can I say, and it's not complicated. I love these, these three things. God's like, I don't want your kids. I don't want thousands of lambs. I want you to do justly. And so it doesn't say, I don't want you to know justice. I want you to do justice. Because to be honest, most people here, you know what to do. I was talking to someone yesterday. Before you got saved, you knew what to do. Amen? It's not like, really? Fornicating was wrong? We know. Lying is wrong. We, we know. Not everyone. Some people, God bless. But our main issue is not knowing. Because we know. It's the doing. What's the saying? Uh, one of the famous preachers, he said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that get to me. It's the parts that I do understand that get to me. It's those parts that frustrate me. In verse 8, he says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. Meaning, I told you. We're not going to get to the end of our life and say, God, I didn't know. God says, I told you, man. In our Bible, it, it, it tells us earlier on that God told him what's required. In Deuteronomy 10, it talks about the essence of the law. And it says in verse 12 to 13, it says, Now, uh, Israel, what does the Lord require of God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep his commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded you today for your good. Because you say, what, what does God want from me? He just wants you to do what's right. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to sacrifice your whole life and this and give everything and, and I can't live and that's not what God requires what God requires is just do what is right Hosea 8 2 and 3 says now Israel pleads with me help us you are our God <laughs> then listen to this but it's too late because you rejected what's good 
This is powerful because they, they're turned away from God. And then in the, the time of crisis, God, help me. And God's like, why should I help you? I told you what to do. I, I told you what to do. And then they keep offering sacrifices to God. And God's like, I am not interested in your sacrifice. I want you. I want a relationship with you. It's like a husband never coming home but buying her roses. Some lady's like, that, that sounds pretty good. No, no so <laughs> it's, what God wants is, is not your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. God calls Israel, the call to Israel is the same call to us today. Simply just do what's right. Amos 5.24, let justice flow like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It means do what's right and let that flow out of your life. And that's not making, again, not talking about mistakes, but this is when you, you know willfully and you just, we just don't care. Ever been there? I know. I know it's wrong. I don't care. God's like, get rid of that stuff. And to live justly, remember a justice system based on a law which is in a book, we live by this book. And every decision we make the answer could be found in this book. And this is what we're supposed to live by. And if you're going to do what's right, you need to do what's in the book. Simple. Not what you're feeling. Not what even I tell you. What does the book say? What does God say? What does the Bible say? In World War I, there's a man by the name of Leonard Knight. And he was a 17-year-old English soldier. And he went to war, and he always took a little Bible with him. Um, and he was at war, and he actually got shot by a German. And I want you to see where he got shot. I've got the photos here. That's his Bible. That's the bullet in the Bible. He always carried his Bible in his breast pocket. Can you imagine that? And he gets shot in war, falls to the ground, and the bullet, and the bullet is lodged in the Bible. There's another picture there. I think they opened the Bible. You can see. It's in there. And I think they said it was 50, 50 pages before the end of the Bible. That's where the bullet stopped. Reason I keep just keep that up for a moment. Reason I say that is because if you live by this book, it will save you a lot of bullets. It will save you a lot of heartache. Why am I why am I feeling like this? Why have I got blood pouring out of my life everywhere? Because those bullets don't go through the book. And this will save you. This will it'll help you dodge a lot of bu bullets. A lot of people go through stuff in life. You don't need to go through it if you just live by the book. And most of us, we know. How many of us have shot ourselves? Because we're not doing what the Bible says. And we know. We know. We all have James 1.22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is, this, is, this is human nature. We know what to do. We just don't do it. And then we shoot ourselves like, Pastor, why is my life like this? What do you want me to say? Many times in counseling, this is what I say to people. Okay, just say someone else is in your shoes. I put someone, I name them, put them. Okay, they're, in your, they're going through the exact same thing you're going through. What would you say to them? I say 90% of the time, they say something different to what they're doing. 90% of the time. I tell them they need to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, so why aren't you doing it then? Because we know. It's just we don't do it. And God says, you want to know what's required? Be doers of the word. And many people think, this is why many people don't want to get saved. They think serving God's too hard. I can't do it. It's too hard. Well, 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So where burdensome means heavy, weighty, violent, or oppressive. God is not oppressive. 
The devil is oppressive. Can we get an amen to that? The devil's oppressive. God is not oppressive. God is not a heavy taskmaster demanding things off our lives. That's what the devil's like. And sometimes, like I spoke about last on, on Wednesday, the people there, they, they confused serving the devil with serving God. And it was so hard to serve the devil. And they took that view and started serving God like that and thought God was hard. But God is not hard. God is loving and merciful and kind. So step one, you want to do what's required of the Lord. Step one is simple. Do justice. Be legal. Stop doing what you know is biblically illegal. We get amen. We'll pull you over and find you and take the merit points off. All right. Secondly, second thing he says is love mercy. Love mercy and be lenient. Love mercy, be lenient. Verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Do justly to love mercy. This is a deep requirement. And it's only possible to those who have touched heaven and continue to touch heaven. So love, this word love is love dearly. It's like, it means to, to push away all other things, to focus on, to hold on to one. It's like when, when a man and husband get, uh, man, man and husband, man and wife get saved. See, I've been in New Zealand too long. The laws are getting to my head. Like, I'm telling you, you go back to Australia. That's, oh my God, oh, it's legal there too. Oh God, help me. All right, so, <laughs> praise the Lord. Be merciful, eh? Okay, so to hold on to something and not let go. Like a friendship, Jonathan and David, they, they said that they were friends. They didn't let go of each other. They, they, didn't, they didn't let each other fall to the wayside. They were there for each other. And what is God calling us to hold on to and not let go? God says, love and hold on to mercy. Don't let go of mercy. And mercy, we know what it means. It's not getting what you deserve. It's removing the punishment. And so how can we do this? How, how can we love showing mercy? Because I don't know about you, but my first reaction in life is not to show mercy. It's like to show my fist. Like that's as close to mercy as I can get. So how do we do this? It's impossible to give this mercy without receiving it first from God. Like I preached at the wedding, you can't give something you haven't received. And if you've truly touched heaven and received the mercy from heaven, it's much easier to give that mercy to other people. Look at Hosea 6, 4 to 6. Very deep, deep scripture. And it says, O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Ask the Lord. Ah, this is full on. It says, for your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the dew in the sunlight. He goes, you love me in the morning, but by afternoon it's all gone. What an what a imagery there. It's like, he goes, I sent you my prophets to cut you in pieces, to slaughter you with my words. The judgment is, is inescapable as light. He goes, this is not to kill people, but this is like to, to show you that this is wrong. Don't live like this. And then in verse 6, again, the heartbreak of God. He goes, what do I require? He goes, I want you to show love. Not offer sacrifices. And then he goes, I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. And again, take this the right, the right way. I bet you never heard a preacher say this. God wants more of you than, than, than you just put money in the plate. We don't need your money. Because my faith for our church finances is not in you. My faith is in God. But if God could have you, somebody, I came to church, I gave my tithe, I'm good. But does God have you? And once we truly know God and how much mercy we've received, then we start to freely give mercy to other people. 
Charles Finney has got a great quote. He says, The true worshipper of the Lord will love to demonstrate kindness and forgiveness to other human beings as one who has himself drunk deeply of God's mercy and he will want to share that mercy with all who are around. If you've drunk deeply from the, from the mercy fountain that flows from heaven, you will know that that mercy overflows and it will overflow out of your cup and it will overflow into other people's lives. Again, I'm not telling you let people walk over you and just, you know, don't, don't be silly in that aspect. But mercy means that I forgive you and I don't hold the past against you. And if you've got that, received that from heaven, it's much easier to give that to other people, isn't it? Another guy gives a paraphrase. I think his name is Guzik. That's how you pronounce it. His text, he says, don't just show mercy and kindness, but love to show it. Give others... Okay, all right. Okay, this guy needs to calm down. Give others the same measure of mercy that you want to receive from me, from God. That's a hard, that's a hard paraphrase. Give other people the same amount of mercy that you wish to receive from God. How wonderful would it be if we just showed a fraction of what we receive from God? Because we can never really show all of it, can we? Like how? I don't know how we could. Luke 6.35, But love your enemies, do good, lend, hope for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind and unthankful to the unthankful and evil. Because you want to be like Christ? Love your enemies. Just let it go. Drop it. Have mercy. Do good. Do justly. Lend. Hope for nothing in return. Your reward will be great. Again, please get the balance. Not saying let people use you. But it means have a forgiving heart. This is not easy. I had to deal with this this week. It's usually when I have to preach a sermon like this, God really checks if I actually believe what I'm preaching or not. And um, it's hard. You know, I had an issue one time. Someone wants to meet with me. And you know those people, they want to meet with you about something and you don't want to meet with them? Have you had that before? That's me. I don't want to meet with you. I'm happy if we don't see each other for a very long time. I'll, I'll, I'll say hi every billion years in heaven. You know those type of people, the Lord bless you. Like, we're good. You know. And... It's not fun. So I was like, fine, okay. I'm a pastor. I should probably do this. I'm a Christian first and I'm a pastor. So I should probably lead by example here. So we went. And you know when you, know when you go to meet someone and you already have what you're going to do already in mind, regardless of what you say? Okay, I'm just being honest with you, okay? Maybe I'm the only one like that. It's like, we want to sort this out. Yeah, cool. I want to sort this out too. I'm never talking to you ever again. Sorted. We're good. So we went through it, it was all fine. And then the next day I'm praying, praying about what to do, even though I know what I'm going to do. But I thought I should probably pray about this. So I'm praying. And God is smashing me in prayer. He's saying, show mercy as I've shown you mercy. And I didn't feel like he was saying it like that. He felt like he was saying like, shut your flipping mouth and sort your, your attitude out and repent from your stinking pride. And I did. And from that moment, I felt the peace of God like never before. I completely changed my judgment. Because you're never more like Christ when you forgive someone that's, that's hurt you. Again, that's not saying, come walk over me. That's saying, I forgive you. And I'm good. And if I see you, I'm good. I'm not going to do what I wanted to do before. So what does God require of us? Do justly. Be legal. Do what's right. But love mercy be lenient with people.
because Christ was very lenient with us. Can the church say amen to that? So let's close the third thing. Again, these three could have been all sermons by themselves, but I'm just touching on them very quickly. The third, third thing he says is walk humbly, which means be, be lowly. Be lowly. Verse 8 says, I've shown you what is good. What does the Lord require? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Everything that makes God, God is found in Jesus. Okay, so every time you read something about Jesus, that's, remember, this is God in the flesh. This is not just a man. This is God. This is Emmanuel, God with us in a man. He is 100% God, 100% man at the same time. He said, but I don't understand that. That's right, because you're not God. Okay, so, okay, done, sorted. This is God in the flesh in human form. And whatever you read about Jesus, remember, this is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, God, the ruler of the universe, God. And so let's think about what Jesus did and is therefore what God did. Philippians 2, 5, and 7, 5 to 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be, who in the being in the form of God, being God, and did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he is on the same par as God. Made himself no reputation. Taking a form of a bondservant. Coming in the likeness of men. God, Jesus, has a no reputation. So let's break down these three things. Number one, no reputation means that he emptied himself of everything that he has or was or did or stood for. He came to the earth as nothing, right? Luke 2. Angels came to the shepherds and says, you're going to receive the Messiah and this is going to be the sign to you. And they think, what's going to be the sign? They're going to see the Messiah. Like what? It's going to be fireworks. It's going to be this big display. Going to find him in the palace. And it says in Luke 11, 12. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, the Lord of, of heaven. And this will be a sign. How are you going to find him? You will find him, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Awesome. Lying in a manger. What? L- lying in a, in a feeding trough? God? God. Like I got annoyed at the, at the hospital when Beck was giving birth to Isaiah. I was, I was getting annoyed at the, at the root. I'm like, do we have to share? And here's the Lord of heaven being birthed next to animals. Literally. This is how God entered the earth? You're saying that he couldn't even find one room in the inn? Not one person will give up their, their night in the inn? And he had to sleep outside? God? That's what we mean by no reputation. He wasn't so concerned about himself and who he was. And do you know who I am? Did God ever say that? Did Jesus ever say that? He says, in, firstly, no reputation. He says he came in the form of God. Although in the form of God, he came in the form of a bondservant. And just as he was the heavenly savior, he was an earthly servant. John 13, 3 to 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And I've preached on this text uh, many times, but one in particular. Broke down how he says, he laid aside his garment. Okay. So Jesus took off his garment of the king. 
of Lord, of the great, of, of the Messiah, of the creator of all, the one who rules and reigns over everything, he took all that off. And what did he put on instead? A towel like a servant. And humbled himself to be a servant. That's, that's pretty deep. Because it's hard for us to be like a servant. Here is God in the flesh as a servant. And not only a servant, he says a bond servant. The difference between a servant and a bond servant is a servant got wages. A bond servant got no wages and he was stuck to this family forever. It's like they owned him. And that's what Jesus said. I, I, I get nothing out of this. What did Jesus get from coming to the cross, to coming to the earth? What did he get out of it? Nothing. It was all for other people. He didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve us. This is God. God. It's like being at a wedding. Your wedding, you're the groom. It's all about you. You have people flown all, the, all over the world from, for your special day. And then you're at the front greeting people. You come early. You set up the church. You get the chairs ready. You set up the lights. You're cooking the food. You're ushering people in. You're setting up the hall. You're cleaning up afterwards. You're, you're wiping everything down. You, you, let people, you greet people to your seats. You just stay at the back. You stay out of view. You don't sit on no table. You sit at the back. It's, it's got nothing to do with you. Even though the day is all about you and you just, you're like, well, this, this, something's not right here. You don't give a speech. You don't, you don't have a first dance. You don't, have, you don't kiss the bride. You don't do nothing. In fact, you get beat up for it. And it's your day. And that's what Jesus did for us. We are the bride of Christ. And he did all of that and served us. Walk humbly. So when you start thinking God did that, do we do that? And then he says, coming in the likeness of men. When people saw Jesus, there was nothing special about him. His face didn't shine. Okay? He didn't have perfect hair. Jesus would have got pimples. Okay? He was normal. Matthew thirteen fifty-five. Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't this... Is not his uh, mother called Mary, his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? It's like, we know who this guy is. Like, what, him? Because he didn't make himself special. So he says, let this mind be in you. And what's the mind he had? Jesus had the mind that I don't matter. I'm not important. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness... Of mine, let each esteem others better than himself. Can I repeat that? Is that okay? Let each esteem others better than himself. And that is not the world that we live in. The Bible says the last days, perilous times, men will be lovers of themselves. They love themselves. We love ourselves. And God says, you should put others before yourself. Jesus got nothing out of this. Jesus, you're going to be born in a manger. Doesn't matter. Because I don't matter. Jesus, people are going to betray you. Doesn't matter. Because I don't matter. Jesus, they're going to put a crown of thorns on your head. Doesn't matter. Jesus, they're going to nail you to a cross. Everyone that you poured your life into is going to betray you. Doesn't matter. Because I don't matter. This is deep, man. Where do all of our relationship problems come from? When nobodies think they're somebodies. 
Where do church splits come from? When nobodies think they're somebodies. We don't need any more somebodies. We need nobodies. Can you believe they did this to me? Yes. <laughs> Look what they did to our God. As I close, there's a big difference between those who are humble and those who are haughty. And I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. I think the morning of the wedding. I can't remember. James 4.6, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This word oppose is a big term. This means like an army that is ready for war, as when it's drawn up for, bat- for battle. And it's ready to face and to fight. That's what the word oppose means. And so let's get this. The scriptures say, God opposes, fights like an army against those who are proud. That's, that's scary because we've all been in that prideful position, haven't we? When we're prideful, when we, when we don't walk lowly, God sets his army against us. Against us. But then he says, those who are humble, he gives grace, a spiritual empowerment, favor. So the Bible says in our text, walk humbly before the Lord. Sorry, it doesn't say that. It says, walk humbly with your God. Do you know who you're walking with? That's a, that, think of that. Walk humbly with your God. Are we walking humbly with our God? Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is a great, great scripture. He goes, I dwell in the high and holy place. He goes, I am, I, I, I'm above everything. I, I live in eternity. Grasp that. We can't, right? He goes, so I dwell in the high and lofty place, in the holy place, and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. So you want God to live with you, to walk with you? He lives in the heavens, but he also lives with the humble. And he goes, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. They're the ones that have a deep conviction of their own sin. So are are we a humble people? Does Jesus walk with us? Do we walk humbly with him? There's times I'm trying to walk with Isaiah and he holds my hand sometimes. Other times he wants to run off and do his own thing. And how many times God's got his hand out for us and we let go and do our own thing. So what does God require of us? Does God require us to give our sons for our sins? No. He gave his son for our sins. He says, do justly, be legal, do what's right. You know what's right. Do what's right. Love mercy. Be lenient. You've received mercy from me. Give that to others, God is saying. And he says, walk humbly. Walk humbly. Be lowly. Because we're walking with God. And how can any of us, as we walk with God, walk pridefully? He is our God. He is our Savior. God, forgive us for walking proud. God, forgive us for puffing our chest up. 
and not humbling ourselves before the King. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.